Hello, Hi Rock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing our walk through the book of Isaiah, and today we are in kind of a final stage of uh, Hezekiah's story, at least for this book. And so we are in Isaiah chapter 39, where we read this today. Soon after this, Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah his best wishes and a gift. He had heard that Hezekiah had been very sick and that he had recovered. Hezekiah was delighted with the Babylonian envoys and showed them everything in his treasure houses, the silver, the gold, the spices, and the aromatic oils. He also took them to see his armory and showed them everything in his royal treasuries. There was nothing in his palace or kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, What did those men want? Where were they from? Hezekiah replied, They came from the distant land of Babylon. What did they see in your palace? asked Isaiah. They saw everything, Hezekiah replied. I showed them everything I own, all my royal treasuries. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Listen to this message from the Lord of Heaven's armies. The time is coming when everything in your palace, all the treasures stored up by your ancestors until now, will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your very own sons will be taken away into exile. They will become eunuchs who will serve the palace of Babylon's king. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, This message you have given me from the Lord is good. For the king was thinking, At least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it is no surprise, I, I think, at this point, when we come across another flawed hero, someone who starts out really, really good and seems to lose steam along the way. In verse uh, one, we see this character, Merodach Baladan. Uh, Merodach is just a, another form of the name Marduk, the one of the main gods in Babylon. And he was apparently eight years into a 12-year reign as the king of Babylon. So he had eight years before this rebelled against Assyria during a time of political instability, managed to free that part of Babylon from the Assyrian empire and was ruling during this time. And he's shopping around for allies. And, and who knows, maybe Hezekiah was thinking that here's a guy who knows how to do it. He's someone who's re successfully rebelled and kept his own kingdom. Hezekiah doesn't see into the future. Maybe he should call a prophet for that, but he doesn't see into the future and see this guy's going to be defeated and, and taken captive in another four years. So maybe he's not the right guy to be uh, making an alliance with. But this kind of get well soon card that um, that uh, Merodach wants to send to him is not really uh, just a, a gift to Isaiah. Instead, like I said, he's shopping around for allies. This is a pretext for political intrigue. But he doesn't necessarily need allies. When he sees the wealth and the, the, the arms that they have there, uh, he might be thinking there's another way that they could be using the kingdom of Judah. And that's something that will uh, be one of the steps that leads towards, of the many steps that leads towards the Babylonian captivity. And in verse two, it says that, you know, Hezekiah was delighted. Apparently, Hezekiah thinks so highly of himself. He hasn't really been cured of this, that he doesn't take it, see it as suspicious when someone else thinks he's like the uh, the most special thing in the world as well. And, uh, you know, I guess they can also uh, ally themselves based on, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, that kind of thing. 
but Hezekiah really takes this the next step and he just delights in this and thinks that they're really there for him apparently. And he shows them everything, not only shows them all the, the treasures that are stored up, but even takes them to the armory to see all the weapons that are there. So they, they know exactly how much money and wealth uh, the Judeans have and what the their armed forces are like. They have all the intel that they need. need. And then Isaiah shows up. Um, it's kind of surprising that he doesn't get invited in the first place, that Hezekiah isn't seeking advice from God in a situation like that. And has, uh, Isaiah asks a couple questions. I don't think Isaiah's uh, really asking because he's just curious. He asks them, like, who are these people? Where are they from? And what did you show them? I think he's basically asking the kind of questions that, like, say, as parents, we do sometimes where we ask a question to see if the person's going to take this opportunity to be honest or or maybe to realize what they've done that's wrong. But Hezekiah doesn't seem to come to any realization. He just lays it all out like he's done nothing wrong. He doesn't see anything wrong with uh, what's happened. But then Isaiah fills him in what with what is wrong in, in verses 5 through 7, basically says, you know, everything you showed them, everything that you've built up and your ancestors have built up and even your future descendants, they're all going to be taken off to Babylon. And, and some of your own sons are going to be made into eunuchs to serve the palace there, which also means that they're not going to be able to carry on the promise that was given to your ancestor, David, that uh, someone from his line would sit on the throne uh, forever. And after this, you'd think that maybe Hezekiah's response would be at least a little bit sheepish, maybe a, a bit repentant. But, you know, here he just says, this is good. Like, the, this word from the Lord is good. And the part that he doesn't say out loud, which is the really important part, is, is you know, hey, you know, as long as I have peace and security during these extra 15 years God has given me, then I'm good. It's fine. This is this is another generation's problem. It's my, you know, my children's 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 problem. I don't need to worry about it. This is a good message for me because at least during my my remaining years, um, I'm going to have a good time. It's almost as if it would have been more merciful if God had allowed him to die of his illness rather than answering his prayer to give him this extra 15 years. That strikes me as as very ironic. But perhaps the one thing I really take away here as a as a warning to me and, and I guess anyone who's in their uh, middle years or middle to late years, I'm captivated by this idea of a middle-aged man. He's probably around 39, 40 years old at this point, who is happy to live in comfort or peace and security, as he puts it here, even if he knows that it's at the cost of a disaster that's going to come for his future descendants, you know. And maybe that's a little on the nose for issues of like uh, climate and ecology, but I think it can apply to short-sightedness in a lot of areas, maybe short-heartedness, if that could even be a word, where we care about ourselves, but not enough that we can care about those who will come after us. Um, and I think like Hezekiah, oftentimes we can start off with a, a, you know, start out on fire, but lose steam along the way. And we end up settling for uh, a peace and security, even if we know it's not real and lasting, just as long as it's something that we can enjoy, we can enjoy. And, and in that sense, I think that can be a real temptation for people, especially as we get into our later years, that we just want to hold on to what we have rather than take any risks, even if it's going to come at the cost uh, to someone else. Dave, I'm wondering what you see here in today's passage. Well, you know, there's a, a number of things. I, mean, I do think it's interesting, given what's going on in the news today, uh, you know, the, with the conflict in the Middle East. Uh, this just is another reminder, right, as, as 
Babylon is fighting against Assyria and will eventually you know, be taken over by Persia. And uh, they're going to take over Judea, uh, which is, of course, the, the, the land of Israel now. Uh, you know, just the idea that there, there's always been a lot of contest in this land, right? Back and forth and back and forth, right? Because Babylon, well, that's Iraq. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like uh, the names have changed. The story's the same, you know, mm. uh, but it just shows that is when people try to come up with these simplistic answers about how to solve things in the Middle East, it's like, uh, yeah, so like this was like 600 years, 700 years before Jesus. Uh, this goes back a long way. Mm. Um, and so anyway, I, that's, you know, neither here nor there. The real thing that I kind of just jumped out at me, my first thought uh, as we read verse eight, uh, where he's saying, at least there'll be police and security in my lifetime. Uh, was to think about domestic politics, right? And to be thinking where, uh, you know, so, so many of the baby boomers, hey, so long as I'm okay, we're not going to fix social security because I want it for me. But yeah, I realize now that means all of the millennials aren't going to get it. Well, sorry, guys. Uh, and and there's just so many ways, uh, you know, as we have more and more and more national debt uh, that we're saddling our children with and our children's children. Uh, but there's a way that we are so myopically self-centered uh, that we think, well, hey, I, I, I don't want to sacrifice and suffer, so that'll be their problem. Uh, and and I think I, I've heard somewhere, I can't remember the origin of this, I, I'm told it's uh, some kind of Chinese proverb that um, the you know that a society is well-ordered when people plant trees uh, um, under the shade of which they will never sit, hmm. right? That you, know, you plant a tree, but you know that it won't come to you know be mature for 30 years, uh, but you plant it knowing it's actually not for you. It's for this next generation, and that's a sign of a healthy society. We're the opposite, uh, you know. We're 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 cutting down the trees uh, that previous generations have planted, so we can enjoy it. <clears throat> so that was my first thought, and we could talk about that for a long time. And how this same self-centered spirit that was in Hezekiah is unfortunately in so many of us. Mm. Um, but I realized actually the more important application of that is what I see happening in churches, including our church. Uh, that there's a way that churches tend to get so fixed on their way of worship and their way of of just following Jesus, uh, the kind of culture in their church. And as young people don't really grab onto it, well, hey, that's okay. You know, we, we'd like for them to come, but they're going to have to like it our way. Uh, and nobody ever says that overtly, but that is actually what they communicate in a million other ways. I can't tell you how many times I've been to a church that was dying there, closing up. There's no nothing left. And I'd see these amazing sanctuaries, so beautiful. Wow, this is gorgeous. Uh, and then maybe they have a fellowship room. Wow, this is fantastic. And I say, great. Well, where are the Sunday school rooms? Oh, we sold off the, the Sunday school building 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, I think, yeah, that's why you're selling your sanctuary today. Mm. Right? That you guys did you guys thought it was about you. You didn't realize, no, it's about your children. And in, in fact, you know, a lot of people, they go, oh, you got to have child care so that, so that adults can come to worship. And I go, no, 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 we have to have adult care so that children can come to worship, right? The most important thing that's happening is that we're passing on the gospel to the next generation. So I'm so proud at High Rock of what's happening with our young children and with, with our, our teenagers these days. I mean, it's incredible. It's really, it's, it's the, the culmination of so many years. But I think as a church, we need to be asking questions. Where are the, where are the 22 year olds? Where are the 24 year olds? Uh, which used to be so predominant. And it is very easy to go, well, given the locations where we are, at least our two suburban locations, it's not that many kids who can afford those places. 
Uh, and yet, I think that as a church, we need to be super mindful about it. How do we invest in the next generation? I think in our system, this is one of the reasons why we invest in Cambridge, uh, in, the, in that uh, that congregation, because we see that as a place to engage people in the next generation and and help shape them and give them this kind of culture of, uh, of you know, a way of following Jesus, you know, right? in community with curiosity and compassion. But I think as a church, the question we we are too often ask is, do I like this? Did I like that song? Did I like that sermon? Did, you know, do, do I like the atmosphere here? Uh, are my friends here? And I think, you know what? We're, that's the spirit of Hezekiah. The real question I want to be asking is, is, is the next generation being engaged? Are we passing on the gospel to them? And so, you know, so often it ends up being just parents who are the ones now doing, you know, kids rock and, and, and youth group. And I think, where are the, where's everybody else? All of us should be invested in young people. Right? All of us have this calling. The, the church is always 20 years from going out of business because it's this next generation that's going to come. And we've constantly got to be doing evangelism, not just with our, our, our non-Christian neighbor, but in fact, with, with our own children, showing them how to love Jesus and, and that they are loved by Jesus allowing them to find ways to follow Jesus in their culture, which is different than the culture in which I grew up, in which you grew up. Mm-hmm. And I think that having that spirit is what allows us to then do the ministry that I think the people with the spirit of Hezekiah miss out on. That to me, I feel is just so, too central to, to what God's called us to be. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I, I just think from like a an artist viewpoint, uh, Anne Rice, the author, I think one unique insight that she's had in her books that she really plays out is this idea is that the world is always passing us by unless we fall in love with someone of the current generation and see the world through their eyes. And in that way, we can see and approach the world anew. And so w- without that, we we become lost and stuck in our own generation. I think that's basically what you're saying, but from a different perspective. That's right. That's right. Well, let me close this in prayer. Let's pray together. God, we want to have your heart for not only the next generation, but the the generations beyond them, the generations unborn. God, I pray that we would have your willingness to sacrifice. We see what you have done for all of us. God, I pray that we would follow you by being willing to sacrifice, lay down our privileges, lay down our power in order to serve the least of these, your children. God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today. Hope you can join us again tomorrow as we move into the second half of this book of Isaiah. Go in peace.